Hey, I'm Misty Winkler, and I'm here with episode 11 of the Simply Convivial audio blog. This is the Simply Convivial audio blog, short but meaty focus sessions to help you keep your head in the game as a homeschool mom. Convivial, if broken down to the Latin parts, means with life. And that's what we want for our homeschools, isn't it? Convivial is about the atmosphere of our homes and homeschools. It points us to a life lived abundantly, bursting at the seams, with all the mess and recovery that that entails. Simply, on the other hand, reminds us to put first things first and not complicate living or learning. Just do it together. Simply Convivial. We claim the label classical for our homeschool because all the great pre-modern educators remind us that education is about growing in wisdom, not increasing our earning potential. Those reminders about how to grow in wisdom have been remarkably consistent until Darwinism captured the West's imagination. Read widely, discuss, and do the right thing. We all want some variation on that theme, whatever label we choose. So let's gear up and keep our priorities straight. Let's do it. In Season 2, I'm going through an old series based off my first reading of the teaching classic, The Seven Laws of Teaching by John Milton Gregory. I called this series The Seven Laws of Teaching Your Own and worked through adapting his classroom examples to homeschool examples, focusing on the principles that apply to learning across the board. You can visit simplyconvivial.com audio to download a summary sheet of The Seven Laws and find each episode as they're released, as well as the original series. And now, the meat. The Seven Laws of Teaching Your Own Law 5. The Law of the Teaching Process Learning operates under fundamental principles, and unless we know them and follow them, we cannot teach. Gregory writes, Like all the great laws of nature, these laws of teaching seem clear and obvious, but like other fundamental truths, their simplicity is more apparent than real. Each law varies in its application with varying minds and persons, although remaining constant in itself. These laws and rules apply to the teaching of all subjects in all grades, since they are the fundamental conditions on which ideas may pass from one mind to another. Above all, we must remember that learning is something that the learner does and not something the teacher does. Gregory reminds us, quote, As already shown, knowledge cannot be passed from mind to mind like objects from one receptacle to another but must in every case be recognized and rethought and relived by the receiving mind. All explanation and exposition are useless, except as they serve to excite and direct the pupil in his own thinking. In this, what he says is exactly the same as what Charlotte Mason says when she writes, Self-education is the only possible education. The rest is mere veneer laid on the surface of a child's nature. And, There is no education but self-education. Law 5, the law of the teaching process. Excite and direct the self-activities of the pupil, and as a rule, tell him nothing he can learn himself. This, claims Gregory, is the most widely recognized rule among good teachers. Although there may be times to disregard this law, when time is of the essence, when the child is ill or weak, or when the child is discouraged, for example, 
However, for the most part, the teacher is to make the pupil a discoverer of truth, to make him find out for himself. The teacher's role is, quote, awakening and setting into action the mind of the pupil, arousing his own self-activities. If we can learn without a teacher, and we can, then the teacher is not essential. The teacher is an aid, an ally, a support, facilitating the process of learning within the student's own mind, lighting a fire, not filling a bucket, as the saying goes. In fact, the knowledge which is most permanent, claims Gregory, is that which is discovered unaided. Therefore, the true function of the teacher is to create the most favorable conditions for self-learning. The conditions are threefold, setting an ordered path, the curriculum, providing leisure and quiet for study, and furnishing materials. Teaching is not telling, but leading. It is not the vigorous telling or the hard work of the teacher upon the passive student that evokes learning, but the active student's hard work. The student taught without learning for himself is like the one who is spoon-fed but not given exercise. The meager nutrition cannot work out towards its natural end and the body does not gain its full benefit and will not grow properly. In this task of teaching, then, the self-confidence of the student is essential. It's gained by self-prompted, independent use. But such use is usually first motivated through external pressures, such as mom making him, before it matures into internal self-promptings. Moreover, quote, Thoughtfulness deepens and grows more intense with the increase of knowledge. The increase of this appetite will grow by what it feeds on. The more effort is expended toward the learning, the more one is motivated to continue. The teacher's job is to do what is necessary to begin the child on the path. But once the child is following the path with a will, pushing and shoving him along is more counterproductive than beneficial. Although the child may get to the end a little earlier, he will not have gained the experience and strength that he could have derived from the journey. We, the teachers, are to keep our children on the path and keep them moving, but we should refrain either from rushing them or carrying them. Instead, let each exercise strengthen their own muscles of self-prompting, self-discipline, and self-learning. Gregory then quotes Cominius, who said, Most teachers sow plants instead of seeds. Instead of proceeding from the simplest principles, they introduce the pupil at once into a chaos of books and miscellaneous studies. The figure of the seed is a good one, says Gregory, and is much older than Cominius. The greatest of teachers said, The seed is the word. The true teacher stirs the ground and sows the seed. It is the work of the soil through its own forces to develop the growth and ripen the grain. Through the years, we've experienced many mumbled complaints about hating school. So that clarification about self-prompting generally following external prompting was a welcome relief. The fact that a seven-year-old is feeling out where the firm boundaries are and exactly where they've been placed is no occasion to wring our hands. Our duty is to set those boundaries and, with wisdom, maintain them. Their pushing is part of their learning process. Keeping the lines is the trench work, establishing the ruts, the habits, in which our children's future lives will run. Moreover, whereas with Law 1, which requires that a teacher know that which he would teach, is a law that might threaten to crush us homeschooling moms, until we remember that the books we are using are the primary teachers, 
This law can set our feet in a wide and spacious place, that of establishing the conditions of self-learning rather than rising to the place of lecturer extraordinaire. However, Gregory anticipates the contrasting of this role with the first when he writes, There is no disagreement between this law and the first and third, which so strongly insist upon the teacher's knowledge of the subject, without full and accurate knowledge of the subject that the pupil is to learn through his self-active efforts. The teacher certainly cannot guide, direct, and test the process of learning. One may as well say that a general need know nothing of a battlefield because he will not do the actual fighting, as that a teacher may get on with inadequate knowledge because the pupils must do the studying. Let us look then to the rules of how we are to apply this to our own homeschools. First, adapt materials and assignments according to age and ability. Always remember our students' frames. Two, begin lessons by asking a question that will awaken inquiry. Hmm, remember, this was said to stimulate attention as well in a previous law, and in the future, this admonition will be given again in the context of reviewing. I think that makes it key. Three, put yourself in their place and join them on the search. When they are seeking information, do not act like the fount of wisdom, but a fellow seeker. Model the posture of a seeker. Four, repress impatience. Give the child time to find his words. Ouch. Five, the lesson that does not end with fresh questions ends wrong. Seeing that there is more to know and find out rather than believing oneself to have attained is the proper end of a lesson. Six, observe your students, seeing to it that they pay attention. We have to pay attention to ensure that they pay attention. Seven, give the students time to think and encourage them to ask questions if they're puzzled. Time and space and direction to think and consider and wonder. We must not neglect this important aspect. Eight, answer a question with a question to secure deeper thought. Too much of this can get annoying, but it is a very valuable tactic. If the questioner wants to know, he needs to be willing to think actively and not just passively accept an easy answer. Nine, restate a student's question before answering. This ensures that you understand him correctly, and it promotes the considering of the question before too quick or too simple a response. Plus, it's a good way to model good questioning. 10. Teach students to ask what, why, how, where, when, whom, and what of it. That is to inquire about the nature, the causes, the methods, the place, the time, the actors, and the consequences. Gregory writes, Count it your chief duty to awaken the minds of your pupils and do not rest until each child shows his mental activity by asking questions. Of course, there are many ways that we can violate this principle as well, such as 1. Inconsistency and lack of follow-through. Gregory writes, I have told you ten times and yet you do not know, exclaims a teacher of this sort, who is unable to remember that knowing comes by thinking, not by being told. 2. Complaining that their memories are not keeping what they never held. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. If facts have gone in one ear and out the other, we cannot expect them to be able to recall any of those facts. 3. Being hasty and leaving no time to ponder. This reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. Great books, great friendships, and great thoughts 
all require great wastes of time. Four, requiring rapid recitations of the exact words of the material. The knowledge has no time to settle and germinate and become the student's own if he has no opportunity to kick it around and play with it. That is, rote chanting is out. Hurried and unthinking teaching will result in superficial learning. Gregory concludes, How different are the results when this great law of teaching is discovered. The pupils become thinkers, discoverers. They master great truths and apply them to the great questions of life. They invade new fields of knowledge. The teacher merely leads the march. Their reconnaissance becomes a conquest. Skill and power grow with their exercise. Through this process, the students find out what their minds are for and become students of life. Let us lead that march. And now it's time for the simple sanity saver, the homeschool audit. This section of the homeschool audit is about the actual stuff and tools that help us or hinder us. These are the prompts that remind us how important it is to declutter and keep things streamlined. Walk through a typical homeschool day in your mind's eye and list out what supplies you or your kids need at hand and where you need them. Can you set up the stuff in a way that will reduce friction and resistance? Can you smooth out some hiccups in your schedule by making sure that you have what you need, where you need it? Does everything have a home? Does everything have a purpose? Is the space that you have used wisely or is it all just a jumble? Jumbled stuff will slow you down. We can't get rid of the people that slow us down because they are our job and the point. But if stuff is slowing us down, then we should get rid of it. The best organizational tool might just be your garbage can. To work through your own homeschool audit guide with all the prompts and some practical processing and application ideas, go to simplyconvivial.com audio and download your own free homeschool audit guide. Thank you for listening to the Simply Convivial audio blog. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. This helps the iTunes algorithm know that it should share it with others looking for homeschool inspiration. And if you haven't already, head on over to simplyconvivial.com audio for links to the latest episodes, the homeschool audit download, and to sign up to get the show notes by email every week. Remember, education is repentance. Repent, rejoice, repeat. Repent.